Dr. Jamie Lyons was raised on a farm in Victoria, Australia. He earned his veterinary science degree from the University of Melbourne in 1994. His first job was in a dairy-oriented practice for two years, followed by some locum work in Australia and the UK. He returned to Australia where he and his wife purchased a dairy farm while he continued to work for local veterinary practices. He then made a career shift and trained as a mortgage broker, earning a graduate diploma in applied finance and investment. He founded a financial planning business on the Gold Coast, which dissolved during the financial crisis a few years later. He found his way back to veterinary medicine, doing locum work and also traveling in Southeast Asia with his family. He and his wife founded a veterinary clinic in Alice Springs, Australia, while completing the CIVT course in TCVM and the introductory Western Herbal course. His latest professional activity has been offering integrative therapies from two small animal clinics on Australia's East Coast. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jamie Lyons as we discuss his childhood, education, career path, and the building blocks that each phase of one's career can provide over time. Dr. Lyons, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Thank you, Neil. It's lovely to be here, and thank you for inviting me on. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in um, country Victoria, in uh, which is the, the southern state in Australia. So I was born in Brisbane, but we moved when I was quite young down to uh, Victoria, and uh, my mother remarried, and I grew up. Um, I was raised by her and my stepfather on a uh, what could best be described as old McDonald's farm, really, um, in uh, in the bush. So. Uh, it was uh, it was fortunate in many ways because it was a lovely um, r- rural environment, <clears throat> and I went to a small country school with only about uh, a dozen a dozen children and one single teacher who was in charge of everybody. So um, <clears throat> it was really I've had, I have some really nice memories of primary school, but the farm was um, you know stocked with just about every you know, every sort of species you can think of. We had we had pigs and, and sheep and, and cattle and, uh, you know, my mother had a great big vegetable um, garden and um, we had a bird aviary and, um, you know, so, that, so, so it, was lo- it was nice growing up, you know, I grew up around animals, I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, did, when did you decide that you wanted to be a veterinarian then? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I've thought about that over the years. I don't think there was a single moment. Um, I always had a, um, you know, a, a kind of a special contact with animals. I, I feel as though I had a, a thing with animals, I guess, um, that uh, was, was, was special, but I never thought I would necessarily be working with animals in a career sense. Um, I did end up doing some work experience later in high school at a vet clinic, so I guess I was thinking about it then. Um, despite the careers teacher, you know, sort of being fairly negative about my prospects <laughs> at the time, so uh, I don't know whether she was trying to put me off, you know, reaching too high. But um, in the end, um, you know, I guess by the time I was at university, even though I hadn't. Uh, uh, enrolled directly into the course, I found my way to vet science eventually. I guess it was it sort of it turned out well in the end. 
did you enjoy your veterinary uh, veterinary education? Yeah, I'd, um, I uh, I was fortunate enough to be in a um, period of time where the, the rules have changed from the the course taking people directly from high school based on um, year twelve results and. Uh, at the time, they were basically taking people out of um, general first year um, core, uh, course in a science, just a general science course in university. So I, I'd, I'd gotten into science, but actually missed out on the marks required for, for vet out of high school, and and then uh, halfway through, I think the science year, I I found out from a friend that. There was opportunities to transfer across into um, into different science courses like physiotherapy and dentistry and those things, and um, so I set my sights on vet at that point and um, sort of knuckled down in the, to get good marks. <coughs> and uh, although I think the interview was a was a, a big thing for me, I think they liked the fact that I'd grown up on a farm and had a lot to do with um for that with animals. Uh, over the years, so I think the the interview sort of helped me as much as the marks did. But um, <clears throat> but I enjoyed the course. It, it, um, it was very scientific, as you know. Um, and um, there's a big difference between sort of graduating scientists versus graduating healers, you know. But um, I did enjoy the science of it. I, I'm a <clears throat> I love research and I love detail, as I think it sort of attracts that personality type anyway. And um, and so even though I wasn't an honours student, um, we had a lot of fun in university, so I'm sure there were plenty of lectures I may have missed, but um, <coughs> I, I did enjoy the course ultimately and um, it, it sort of led me more towards large animals eventually, uh, initially um, and then later on back to small animals and then eventually holistic um, approaches. That's one of the beauties of our degree, isn't it? That you can uh, make changes along the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, what sort of practice did you join when you graduated? Um, that was a um, that was a dairy farming practice in southwest Victoria. So, um, I'd I'd made good friends with the with the vets down there from my time as a student. That they were a clinic that really does, and still are a clinic that really does support the university um, in terms of the undergraduate training uh, in in clinical practice. And uh, I'd done some work down there, so um, they uh, I, I'd gotten on really well with all of those uh, vets. And um, when it came to looking for work, um, they they were happy to, uh, to to take me on, even though. They knew that, you know, I wasn't going to make them any money for a period of time like most graduates. So I guess they understood there was a period of training that would need to be done um, in, you know, in practical training, almost like a apprenticeship, I suppose. And, um, and then I ended up um, working there for two years and that was very good experience for me because it was such a progressive clinic in terms of the way they approached their work. They understood that it was important. Um, it was more of a philosophical approach that, you know, what underpinned that clinic was the idea of education, um, not just of vets but of farmers and the, 
the idea that the more farmers understood what was happening on farm in real time, the more work would come ultimately to them because they understood what was happening and they knew when they could do something about it and when it was out of their hands. You know, they would need a vet to help them. And that, so that, that led to a, that, a sort of a regular um, series of, of farmer seminars that we held in town and also um, a veterinary herd health program which was probably um, one of the earliest forms of that, I guess. It's it's now become a you know almost a a, um, a typical thing in large animal practice. I understand these days, but uh, this was back in the early nineties, and they were running uh, a program where vets were assigned particular farms and would develop a very good working relationship with the farmers, and then we would be really involved in everything from, you know, pasture management, feed budgeting, reproductive work, um, mastitis control and, uh, and everything. And we had a software program um, to help us through that process. So for a young vet like myself at the time, it was terrific training and terrific experience, um, not just doing surgery and medicine, but also that, I guess, a holistic view of, of um, rural farming as well, and and, uh, and herd health. So that was that was great. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like that would have been a great practice to get experience at. Do you remember what uh, software you you all were using? Um. Oh, look, he's going to kill me for not remembering the name, but it, um, it was Dr. David Beggs. Uh, Maybe familiar with. He's been very um, progressive and very. Uh, um, at the pointy end of, um, of, of of cattle practice, so he he was the uh, mastermind behind that that program. Uh, I can't, I just can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Oh, that's all right. I was just around the same time. I was working with uh, a couple of different uh, dairy management programs, and but yeah, you're right. That was that is a kind of that sort of thing was at the forefront of its time, and and uh, that was really a holistic view of a dairy of a dairy farm which is kind of cool yeah it was very good um, and, and it just um it, it, it really taught me a lesson actually because we it's, it's the opposite of the idea that if you keep everybody ignorant they're going to keep needing you because you know more than they do sort of thing you know so <laughs> it, it, it's more about you know hey um, we're all in this together and um let's come together and, and sort of talk to each other about the problems that we're facing here and that we can work together to solve the problems. And that, and that was really the approach that was taken there. So, um, yeah, it stayed with me for my, for my entire career and I'm really grateful for them for giving me that opportunity. And, uh, and uh, I understand some of my friends at the time are still in cattle practice and, um, and they're, uh, you know, they're really uh, they're doing great things, you know, along those lines. Cool. So where'd you go next? Well, we've been nomadic, I must say. You know, over the years, there's a lot of travel. And when I was putting together my bio for you, I realised it sort of looks a little bit messy. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's certainly not you sort of um, graduate and then uh, hunker down in a in a clinic for thirty years type of story. We we travelled then. Uh, when I say we, my my uh, partner at the time, uh, it became my wife later. Um, travelled to WA and. I took up um, 
the job of helping a, a fellow out over there um, sort of get a bit of herd health program working with the cattle side of his mixed practice and that was great and then we jumped on a plane went over to the UK as you do and uh, we did a we did a sort of a year over there I worked in the Midlands and uh, the Daventry area um, near just south of Coventry in England and uh, you know later on I found out that my um, some of my ancestors had been buried in a cemetery just close by to where I was actually staying in a and b I didn't realize that at the time but uh, yeah, it's quite unusual, quite uh, interesting to discover that later. But uh, that was uh, interesting work in the UK, um, and then we came back and uh, we came back and got married, and uh, we bought our we bought our own farm, which was nearby our parents, my parents. They were running a dairy farm at the time, and then I uh, and then they sort of took that opportunity to retire, I guess, and uh, we ran that farm ourselves. For a, for a couple of years, for a few years, and uh, that was a very busy time because we were having children, and uh, I was still working at the local vets doing cattle work, but at the same time we were also running our own farm. So we built that farm up considerably over a couple of years, from uh, from sort of 150 cows to, to over 200 cows, and uh, you know it's it's a lot of hard work. We didn't really have the funds to to pay for people to help that much. So we were sort of doing it ourselves, um, but I was fortunate enough to have um, uh, become uh, good friends with with a with a farmer who he could only describe as having a a magic touch with cows. He was like a he had like an almost an indigenous um, intuition, you would say, with with cows. And, and I've never seen I've never seen anything like it. He was he was not formally trained at all, but. Um, he was. He began as our share farmer, and, and I learned a lot from him because he could look at a cow from hundred yards away and almost tell you what was wrong with her. So, you know, it's you know it was a beautiful thing to watch, and um, I learned a lot from him. Even though he was he was, as I say, not not a vet. He was no, not clinically trained at all. But he, you know, he his um, family was steeped generationally in dairy farming, so um, he knew the cattle really well and he could read them like a book so it was it was quite good to learn from him too but that yeah, that was a busy period of time so we were farming then and um uh it, it uh as as luck would have it it was also around the time of the drought in the uh, late 90s and uh the um the grain belt as well where most of the grain came from in new south wales was in, uh, struck by the same sort of climate conditions so we had sort of escalating grain prices that we were trying to um, feed the cows, you know, supplement the cows with because the grass wasn't growing because it was so hot and we were irrigating the, the ground and trying to spend money on things like fertiliser and um, and sort of running running to a whole farm plan, which, which meant that we were sort of planting trees, trying to establish bird corridors and also a water recycle systems. So... In, in the end, we were sort of running out of of of, um, of capital, and um, it just got a bit too much, you know, sort of from a from a sort of a mental stress point of view. So we we were we we, we sold that property and then moved on uh, from there and uh, ended up in Canberra for uh, probably about seven years. What kind of practice did you work in there? Uh, I, I worked with a fellow. Um, 
there nearby, nearby Canberra, uh, who was a very good vet, actually. I, was, I, was, I sort of count myself lucky to have worked with, um, you know, what, I, what now these days I call them grumpy old men, you know, so the older generation basically sort of uh, called a spade a spade and um, they didn't muck around. They were generally non-PC, if you know what I mean, and um, but they really knew their stuff um, and they generally taught me, they really taught me, the importance of or the value of observation, which 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 I sort of at times I found myself being a grumpy old man myself and sort of <laughs> decrying the loss of these observational skills that you know in, in favour of um, technology these days. You know, where yeah. uh, where I think young vets are prone to relying a lot on testing, diagnostic testing. But um, you know, back in back in those days. They would say things to me like, what's wrong with that dog? And, you know, I would sort of start looking at the chart and they would sort of throw the chart away and say, bring the dog out and let it go outside and walk around and watch it for 10 minutes, you know, and that sort of thing. So I realised how important that was to be able to um, stand back and, you know, I mean, they those guys would never have called themselves holistic, but they were in, in effect taking a much more holistic approach. You know, they weren't too reliant on um, tests. They were really relying on their intuition in many ways. Yeah. And uh, how many docs were in that practice? That was only the two, uh, two of us. So there was a two-vet practice, really. It's just a small – that was a small clinic. And um, but they were great, you know. They he he um, he was a terrific surgeon, and then he um, he he uh, he ended up selling up and moving on, and um, he was actually the number one fly fisherman in Australia. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he's still practicing, I think. I've heard his name around the traps, um, and uh, and he sold to another fellow, younger bloke, who was um, who was at university at the same time I was, but he was older than I was. And he was also a terrific surgeon and a very good vet too. So I was very fortunate because um, they would challenge me and I'm glad they had enough faith or trust in my ability because something would come along that would be well out of, I would regard as well above my pay grade, but they would say, you know, have you done this before? And I'd say no. And I'd say, okay, well, shoot upstairs I've got a video on it I want you to watch the video and then come down and do it and you know they'd be floating around and uh, and making sure that they were there to watch me but um, I would be challenged to do things like perineal urethrostomy surgeries or or other such surgeries that that I think these days by and large many people would just refer to specialists you know that um, so a, a lot of those a lot of those sorts of um, surgical skills would be sort of thrust upon you but you know what it wasn't that difficult once you, once you were sort of doing it, you sort of had to do it, and um, you know it's uh, you know there's nothing magic in it. It's just a matter of of practice, isn't it? So, but I think a lot of those things have it's not the same anymore. It's um, I think I've heard I, I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think it was with um, I think it was with Elaine Sebuliak in Brisbane, and, and uh, I think she may have commented on the same sort of thing. Uh, where there's uh, more a case of in populated centres, at least the specialists are there, so you sort of almost have an obligation to to send send cases on. So you know your your sort of GP level vet is not really 
doing those sorts of things anymore. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, Lane and I discussed that a little bit, and I'm still noodling over that. I wonder, at least here, you know, we see we've got specialists, but, you know, especially through the pandemic, the, the, you know, they get backed up. And, you know, if a patient has to wait weeks to a month to months to get some things done, if the tide will kind of turn the other way and we'll see general practitioners doing more of that, you know, kind of taking things on that, you know, yeah. see, one, see one, do one, teach one kind of thing, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And people are capable of so much more than they think generally. Um it's just a matter of confidence. Um, but if you have a, a, a decent mentor, I think you, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot people can do. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I know for myself, you know, we, we were in Canberra for about seven years. Uh, and, uh, I think over that period of time, I became a bit disillusioned with, the, with the profession. I was, um, there was a real, you know, they talk about glass ceilings. It, there was a, there wasn't a lot of money in it um, for us, and we were um, we were under the pump financially. We had three children by the by the time we we were sort of in our in, in the in the sort of mid two thousands in um, in Canberra, and uh, I uh, I ended up changing my career altogether and moving into finance. How did you prepare for that? Well, there was no preparation. Actually, it was a funny story because we had a, we had almost like a, a telly, like a what would you call it? You know, the people that just call you, uh, and um, it was to do with saving money on your mortgage, and they came along, and it was this young fellow. I never, I will never forget this young fellow turned up in, you know, like a thousand dollar suit. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that that should have been a red flag for me straight up, I guess, but. Uh, the whole time he was speaking to us, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to him really. I was just too interested in his story, and um, he was only in his mid twenties, and uh, he seemed to have all the time and all the money in the world, you know. And I, I was stressed at the time. We were working long hours, and we were just still about just about doing every surgery you can think of in the book, you know, and. Uh, and uh, and not really making a lot of money, you know. You know how it is um, with with vet, vet science. So at the end, I just sort of said to him, "You know, I hope you don't mind me asking, you know, but um, you know, how did you get into this sort of line of work, and 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 what and what are your sort of working conditions and and, and pay and things like that?" And he was more than happy to share. And uh, and I can tell you now, it was um, it was a lot. It seemed a lot better to me at the time than uh, what I was doing, you know. So uh, I sort of jumped ship. Pretty much straight away, and uh, the, the same sort of company was offering roles in uh, in the same sort of work, and they had a two week training course in Sydney. So I went and did that, and it was it was it turned into a very interesting experience. Let's let's just say that I ended up doing mortgage broking, and I did um, investment property sales, and um, I ended up um, because of my nature, I really wanted to know what I was doing rather than just basing it on sales training alone, you know. So I did a graduate diploma in applied finance through the Finzia uh, Institute, which is an Australian-New Zealand collaboration. Um, and having graduated, I then started a business with, with some friends uh, in, in financial planning and in and investment consultancy and uh 
and we moved up to northern New South Wales and started that business on the Gold Coast. And then the um, 2008 sort of financial crisis came along and we ended up with no no customer base and uh, ran out of money and everything. So, you know, we, we it all ended in a, a bit of a disaster, but, but uh, you know, it, it turned into a bankruptcy personally. And um, But I'll never regret it because the sales training was terrific and it sort of underpinned a lot of it, – it, it sort of helped in many ways with my own – not just my own veterinary career, but my own personal life, because it's um, a lot like the Amway training, where it's a, it's a it's a training in personal relations and uh, human behaviour and human psychology, and that, I think that comes in very handy in the consultation situation, where you know Elaine Elaine mentioned to you it was a lot like grief, you know, not grief counselling, but like social work, isn't it, and um, or a confessional, so. You know, in that sort of situation, I found the sales training would come in very handy. You know, the, for example, the, some of the training included, you know, um, reference to, you know, LMPs, you know, LMPs with the you know, yeah. uh, body yeah. language work. And mm-hmm. he, published, he published several books like, you know, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus and, and those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, one of his best books was The Questions Are the Answers, you know, where whereby he who asks the questions is in control of the conversation. You know, there's just sort of foundational principles which help you talk to people and get the best out of the conversation if you're trying to educate or if you're trying to, to sort of lead people to a, you know, to a common conclusion. And things like, you know, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So, in other words, nobody wins an argument, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and these sorts of things... Um, you know, held held me in much better stead. I, I think over the years, and I'm I'm not I will never regret that kind of training. I think it was um, priceless, and I, I think I think there's a place, you know, even in our undergrad study for some sort of course like that. You know, I know they're doing a little bit more on mental health in universities these days with regards to with reference to you know, the, the, the unfortunate rates of suicide in, in this profession and, and other professions. So there's a little bit more work in, in the undergraduate area for that. But I think there could be a lot more work done with, you know, human relations at that on that level because, as you well know yourself and, and, and so many others working in the holistic field, it's so important to be able to bring people along, you know, with you, you know, rather than be in a sort of a combative situation and, and, uh, and have people understand you know what it what what it means to um, to be you know removing the obstacles to healing rather than fighting a disease those sorts of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds critical, actually. Yeah. So, where did your uh, travels take you next? <laughs> the, story, the story unravels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, um, we, we all, we had nowhere to go. We had nothing. We couldn't pay our rent any longer. So it was a bit of a disaster. It was one of those sorts of, I suppose you would say a midlife crisis if you wanted to put it in those terms, really starting to question everything and, um, you know, what, what direction we were taking and everything like that. So we ended up just sort of solving the problem or at least deferring the problem by hopping in the car and just taking off on a road trip. And we ended up uh, doing some, um, uh, Doing some work on a um, on a beautiful sort of biodynamic um, echinacea uh, farm in New South Wales for a little while. Those people were very generous, and they, they put us up in a in a, like a barn, you know, 
in the, on the property and uh, that was good for a while and we continued the road trip after that and ended up in Alice Springs in Central Australia where we camped in a friend's backyard for six months and uh, I did a little bit of work for the local vet there and uh, to raise a bit more money uh, and then we, we jumped on the GAN uh, train which is the train that goes through the centre uh, and uh, they had a special on at the time where we could... Um, we could go to Darwin and then hop on a plane and we travelled to Southeast Asia and took the kids. We were homeschooling the children at the time and uh, we travelled to Vietnam and uh, we came back to Darwin and we. I did a bit of work with Sarah Brett. I, I listened to your podcast with her recently and uh, she was very generous, particularly given the fact she had to take on a whole family. There was five of us <laughs> travelling. With, with a you know with pets so you know sort of she she sort of housed us above the clinic there in, in the Kimberley and uh, we worked with her for a few months which was fantastic and really great experience and and we really love the Kimberley and we want to go back um, and uh, and uh, and during that time uh, uh, we sort of um, kept homeschooling the the kids and and um, I did a little bit more locum working in Darwin which is where I am now. Um, and then we sort of jumped on a plane again with the children and took them uh, back to Asia and we travelled a little bit more in Cambodia and Laos and Thailand. And, uh, you know, whilst in Cambodia, we sort of masterminded our own vet clinic that we eventually had in Alice Springs. Uh, but uh, we were very close to establishing a clinic in Cambodia at the time because there was an expat community that needed serv- servicing um, and it was just a very easy lifestyle in Cambodia. The thing that held us back from that was, you know, I, I guess sort of graft and corruption is a way of life there and um, no, no private business is really safe and, mm. um, and also the, um, the sort of schooling wasn't going to be quite right. There was an international school there but it wasn't going to be quite right for for the kids at the time and um, because we experienced Alice Springs for a short while, we knew that that was, that was a, a good school there and, and we, ended up, uh, we ended up setting up there. But that was interesting in itself because the, the, the sort of setting up involved me working in Darwin and sort of purchasing items <laughs> through eBay and, um, you know, other clinics that were, might have been closing down. So it was a very, you know, for any up-and-coming uh, holistic vets that are looking to set up on their own it's a uh, it's a good lesson probably that you can do it fairly inexpensively we didn't have a lot of money but we um, I was just sort of shipping boxes Michelle was in Alice Springs with the children getting them started in school and there were these boxes turning up every every day for her because I was ordering things online um, and uh, and from anyone I'd worked with in the past who had something to spare like an anesthetic machine or um, you know or a suction machine or any surgical tools and things like that so yeah it was an interesting time because by the time I got back to Alice we basically had a you know a property that we leased to run as the clinic and it, it happened to be very well set out such that it looked almost purpose-built in the end um, we were very fortunate but uh, you know it was sort of like jumping back into the to the 80s where we sort of opened the door we didn't even have computers we didn't have an fpos machine and people just started coming in and uh you know 
I would sort of see their animal and they'd say, well, how much do I owe you? And I'd just sort of pick a number out of the air and they'd pay me cash and walk out the door and I'd just try to keep paper records. But eventually we made enough money that we could buy computers and an FPOS machine from the bank and, and, and uh, you know, it would start to look a little bit more modern, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and how so, long did you uh, work that practice then? We ended up, I was there for eight years. We ran that, that clinic and it turned into a, a particularly unique opportunity for me to practice holistic medicine because it wasn't long after we settled in there that I that I completed the graduate diploma through the CIVT course for the Western, uh, sorry, the uh, Chinese medical course, herbal, herbal medicine. I did the introductory Western herbal course um, and um, and then I was able to start applying those skills and that knowledge in real time to to our customers and and, and the dogs and cats and whatnot that came through the door and um, and so I, I was able to see the, the best part of a decade of a um, of, of what you'd call a, a you know a trial I suppose you know I have lots of anecdotal evidence. Um, to support the use of the herbs, I've, I've seen some amazing things, and uh, you know you could really write a book on it. You know, as you know yourself, is uh, things that things that you can heal that uh, maybe many vets working these days wouldn't even believe you. You know, because they're it's just not in the same paradigm, is it? Right, right. Were the clients pretty accepting of uh, of that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I was practicing what I was, what I called herbal medicine by stealth <laughs> which, which was essentially a allopathic approach but then having having tried to take on you know I was sort of in the process of really absorbing the information of the course you know and, and um, you know I really look forward to meeting people like Steve Marsden one day I, I think these guys are sort of my heroes um, he has just such a unique um, ability, I think, to bridge the two worlds, you know, which was characteristic, um, you know, it's exemplified in, in, in his book, which became yeah. my Bible, where, you know, a part of me really needed that biomedical explanation. Um, I, did, I did certainly take on the pattern diagnostic um, approach of traditional Chinese medicine, but I really appreciated the biomedical explanation side by side. And that, for me, having that bridge really helped me apply it in in real time with, with the dogs and cats suffering from chronic inflammatory conditions, you know. And, uh, um, and so, you know, and sort of not as they were leaving the room but almost like that, you know, I would say, you know, uh, have you considered other options, other approaches that you could take and they would say you know no i haven't but they're open to it and so i'd say how about we try some of these things because um there's a good chance they could help and then people were quite accepting of that and uh it didn't take very long before they saw the results and um they became you know devotees in, in many ways and so uh, being a small town like alice springs it, we never advertised so word of mouth was a very strong thing in that town as it is in most small towns, I guess, and we had a very strong clientele for all of those years without ever having put a, 
not, not even a single ad in the, in the local paper for advertising. So, um, you know, that's saying quite a lot. So we, we always had the, the philosophical approach of saying, well, we're not going to try to drag people through the door. We're going to offer our approach and we will um, we'll attract the people who are looking for that. And that's what happened. And you had the sales experience. Yeah, well, that always helps. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's so, just incredible, really incredible because there was, you know, dogs that, you know, I felt like many, I think many holistic vets feel like the vet of last resort, right? So, you, you know, you get these people coming in with show bags full of drugs, don't they? And they've, yeah. been, to, they've been to a half a dozen vets and there's nothing happening and they're beyond frustrated, totally beyond it. And, um, and understandably so. And, and becoming quite cynical at times too. And, and so there were so many cases where we basically were able to strip those drugs back to almost nothing. Um, I'd have to say primarily through nutrition, but certainly the herbs helped. And uh, I think the combination of these sort of modalities is um, a very powerful thing. Oh, absolutely. So how did that clinic experience play out then? Uh, in what sense? Um, the life of the clinic. Uh, well, is eventually, it- well, it, I, we nearly came to sell it. Um, we got into a – well, during that time, I'd been to a conference in California. Um, I, I'd gone over to San Francisco, and uh, I think it was standard process, was um, running a clinic on herbal medicine, and I got to meet Gary Victor and uh, Susan Wynn and uh, Barbara Fugier was there. Um, there was a few other, um, you know, notable – holistic vets there so that was a great experience to go and see that um and um i'd also been to a mediherb uh, conference on uh in sydney which was run over a weekend which was a, a gut symposium and essentially for all intents and purposes it was human human medicine i think i was the only vet there in a crowd of 200 naturopaths but uh you know i found the information to be very very applicable to uh, veterinary medicine in terms of managing gut health in in our pets, um, so that was that was a great experience as well. So that, so during a period in Alice with our own clinic, I was still able to get away to a couple of um, uh, a couple of uh, teaching things like that. Um, but uh, you know we we got into a we got into a bit of rocky uh, rocky roads uh, there. Eventually, one of our children got. Um, caught up with the wrong crowd you might say ended up with um with drug issues in alice springs and uh that became a real problem um actually so that was a quite a intense period and um the same people who were sort of influencing um uh you know our eldest in that way started to sort of um make contact with with our other kids on social through social media channels and things like that so my wife and i made the decision to get to get the other children out of town. So we, we effectively had to separate for a time um, and I stayed back in Alice Springs to, to, look, after, um, to look after our sort of um, our son who had addiction issues and, um, and that, was a, that was quite an emotional period of time. I, I probably stayed in Alice an extra two years longer than what we had originally planned because uh, he wasn't allowed to leave this territory um, because the, the, the courts had stayed, said, said that he wasn't allowed to leave and, and yet we didn't have the resources to properly look at the, the territory, didn't have the resources to properly look after him in terms of rehab or um, 
that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. We were in and out of courts and in and out of, you know, all sorts of places and um, we nearly lost him once or twice, uh, which was difficult. Um, and uh, by the time we got around to leaving town, I was in the process of, of selling the clinic. Um, there was a, a group that was looking at, at uh, you know, a franchise opportunity focusing on rural and regional clinics. And um, because Australian vets don't generally these days like to work, uh, you know, rurally and regionally and not be isolated, there's a tendency of vets to want to work more in capital centres, in in, uh, in small animal clinics. Um, they they had this sort of thing where they would take in vets from, uh, you know, on visas from overseas. So what happened then was COVID hit and um, and that whole opportunity uh, disappeared so I, we, we just closed our doors and, and, uh, and I sold the equipment sort of separately and we, and we sort of finished up that way. But, you know, there was no regrets because we sort of started it from nothing and, um, and we finished it with nothing. But it was, it was a great experience, uh, that's for sure. I bet. So uh, where did life take you next? Um, well, we, we, uh, we ended up back on the East Coast, um, just sort of really our home um, in northern New South Wales. and. Uh, I, I got in contact with some local vets, a couple of different practices, and they were they were both terrific, um, terrific people uh, who who had a real bent towards the holistic side of things, but they didn't know how to get there or where to start. They were running a business, and so I think they found it difficult to know how to integrate that sort of thing into their business. Um, so I, I sort of offered my services on a part time basis in there under their roof, if you like, and they took me in and, um, you know, they, th- that was great because I was able to work, you know, a couple of days at each each of the places and, and um, you know, sort of speak my truth, I suppose, rather than um, rather than continue to be compromised by trying, by being forced to take an allopathic, you know, approach with, with things. So, so that was good and they understood that there was a, there was a place for, for that in their business and they wanted to. They, they saw it as a bonus, and you know, as a as a as something that would help their business. So they advertised it, you know, on their websites, and and they knew that there was a market for that. So um, so that that um, that turned out quite quite well, you know. And during our time in Alice Springs, my father had passed away, and he he he'd, um, with a little bit of the money left, I um, we we put it on a deposit on a lovely property in northern New South Wales. So we um, we had we have a home there and um, it's being sort of rented out at the moment while we're traveling but uh, we do plan to go back so what are you doing professionally right now so at the moment I'm back in Darwin doing uh, locum work again it feels like it's a replay of 20 years ago um, or not even that it was probably less than that probably more like 12 years ago now but um uh, yeah, the, the clinics here, I, I, I get on really well with them. Um, uh, and uh, although they're not officially, you know, I'm officially not employed as a as a as a holistic or even an integrated vet, actually. So, you know, it can get a bit awkward, but um, you do your best, you know. So we're, we're here sort of more for practical reasons than than uh, than pursuing any sort of career, you know, direction. So after we finish the locum here, we'll be Traveling again, we, we've 
we've been to India. We're going back to India in in, uh, in March, and uh, and hopefully we'll visit Sri Lanka. And, and my wife's been wanting to see Africa, so there's there's a tour booked over there as well for uh, a short period of time, which will be fun. And uh, and then after that we'll come back uh, back to Australia, and and uh, we're looking at maybe doing a a bit of a road trip to catch up with old friends and, and people we haven't seen for a while. How do you think uh, holistic medicine will fit into your career after those things calm down? Oh, well, it's a part of me now. You know how it is, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can never be the same again, you know, and, and I, I was interested to listen to uh, your interview with Claire Middle because she's been a, she's been a, a, a big part of, as with, as with many other holistic vets that, who I've never met actually, but I feel like I know them, you know, and I'm sure you know how that feels because it's, I mean, we, I've had a busy life. I've, I've often um, remarked to my wife, I've, I've, I, I, I uh, you know, you, you only get out of things that what you put into them, but I don't feel as though I've had much time or mental headspace to, to, to be hugely involved in the holistic community. And, and I do regret that. I, I, I've gotten to a point now where I feel like I want to. So, um, um, uh, I think that's led to this interview because I reached out to CIVT to sort of put my hand up and say, hey, I'm here, you know, um, what can I do to be a bit more involved? And they uh, they offered this, which is fantastic because I, I sort of want it both ways. Sometimes I'm a bit antisocial most of the time and I don't want to talk to anybody, but then other times I I really feel an urge to talk to the world about what we're doing um, because there's, um, you know, there's so many instances every day where you uh, you're confronted with animals that are suffering and and they continue to suffer, um, you know, at the hands of um, you know a lot of the the conditions that they're met with on a day to day basis. Not 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 with not least of all the um, the nutrition, as you well know, you know, that's uh, hurting animals so badly. So this is sort of information is shared amongst ourselves in the holistic community but um but boy there's a huge need for it to get out into the mainstream and and, and, and uh you know i thank you for that you're doing a fantastic job of of, of doing that as, as so many others are and um uh you know if you could humor me for a minute i'll just share something my wife mentioned to me the other day she she's very good at um teaching me about um uh, you know nature and how um and the patterns in nature and how we reflect that ourselves, you know, in that way. And she, she comes up with some beautiful analogies. And one of the things recently she said was that, uh, you know, I, I know Connor Brady mentions people like Tom Lonsdale and Ian Billinghurst as sort of dog fathers of nutrition, which is fantastic. I love that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I, and I love their, I love Connor's, you know, irreverent way. And, and I love, and as is Tom's, you know, um, uh, and uh, and that's kind of my humour as well, really. And and I try to behave myself, but I, I tend towards that that irreverent approach uh, a lot, probably too much, actually. And um, but she, my wife Michelle, um, spoke of 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 the sort of gen- early generation people as being pioneers. You know, it's like the pioneer species in nature. You know that they're they're sort of finding themselves they. Managed to establish themselves in hostile territory. They they they, they uh, put their roots down into um, difficult difficult terrain, you know, and uh, they're faced with a lot of um, challenges. But those pioneer species are the ones that make the space available 
to follow that other people can move into. And, uh, and that's where you get that sort of generation that comes through um, that expands the information out there and sort of tries to get it out there. And I think that's obviously facilitated more these days through social media channels, which is great. Um, but I thought that was a really good analogy, you know, thinking of it like that. And uh, they, 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 have made, they have made the way easier for the rest of us to sort of move into that space that they've, they've created because, you know, it's not, it's not as weird now to talk about things like, um, you know, gut health, you know. And, when, and in fact, many times I talk to people in consultations, they're, you know, they're ahead of most vets in many ways because they're on the internet and they're doing their own research and they understand the importance of gut health with their own health, their family's health, and they can certainly, it's not a big leap to make the, um, to make the leap to their pet in the same way. So, you know, there's sort of openings like that that you can relate, you can make people relate to the, the content or the information that you're trying to convey as a way of having them understand, you know, the why. Because if they don't understand the why, then it's not guaranteed that they're going to continue with, you know, uh, you know, offering more of a holistic um, approach with their own pets. You know? But if they do understand why they're doing it, and I think that's important, then um, then they don't need someone telling them anymore. You know, they they could have a hundred more pets in the future, and they'll know how to manage them much better. And I think that's that's what we're out to do, isn't it? We're out to try to make that kind of a change. Oh, absolutely. Well, Jamie, this has been great hearing your story and your travels, and how I, you know, just hearing you talk me through it. It's just like every every step really sets you up for the next thing, and and uh, built upon each other. It's really, uh, really great to hear. Yeah, thanks, Neil. It's, I certainly um, expect to do a lot more down the track. Um, I've been doing telehealth services. I might end up back with um, some of the clinics on the coast to keep providing integrative services to more of our local community. But uh, I held a, I held a talk um, at our local town last year. Um, on pet health and nutrition and, and there was more than 30 people came along and the feedback was terrific and you know now half the town's feeding you know raw feeding i guess you would say and uh you know they, every time you come across them they they've got another story to tell about how good their well their pets are going so you know you, it's ripples in the pond isn't it i guess and um it's it's really satisfying to see the results absolutely so i'm going to keep in touch with you and hear how things go from here that would be fantastic. But I really want to keep in touch and uh, and, uh, and and be more involved. That's for sure. And uh, and uh, you know, I thank you again for inviting me on. That sounds great. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Neil. All right. Bye bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.